Long time ago, a classic Marvel Star Wars comic book series is dedicated in loving memory of Charles Lippincott, who George Lucas hired in late 1975 to join the Star Wars production as Vice President of Advertising, Publicity, Promotion, and Merchandising. He sadly passed away recently. To quote George, Charlie was one of the founding pillars of the Star Wars films and phenomenon. He began in earnest the concept of licensing motion pictures at a time when the only other company doing so was Disney. Charlie was the one who said early on that we can make this work and was the first person to both develop Star Wars licensing and engage with the fans. He had insights into marketing and public relations that were truly unparalleled. And a prime example of that is Comic-Con today. It was the marketing strategy for the original Star Wars film, A New Hope, that came out on May 25th, 1977, that Charlie would take one young Mark Hamill and they would barnstorm the science fiction and fantasy and comic book convention landscape leading up to the launch of Star Wars. To that, Charlie, we thank you. We thank you for comic books being a part of the Star Wars universe, and that is what this series is about. A long time ago, it's the ship that made the castle run in less than 12 parts of the great disturbance of the force. I told you she would never partially betray the rebellion. That's no more. Caught in a in. Welcome, both Jedi and Sith. This is Angus, and you are experiencing Long Time Ago, a classic Star Wars Marvel Comics series on Kirby's Kids. We will be taking you back to 1977, where it all began, where on the 25th of May, a monumental movie event would take place. And, at the same time, Marvel would be publishing the comic that would introduce this galaxy far, far away to a whole new young reading audience. The greatest space fantasy film of all, Star Wars, fabulous first issue. Enter Luke Skywalker. Will he save the galaxy or destroy it? Marvel's epic adaptation of a film by George Lucas. And that's what we would see on the cover of the very first Star Wars comic issue. Star Wars, adapted from the George Lucas film. It is a period of civil war in the galaxy. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. To crush the rebellion once and for all, the Empire is constructing a sinister new battle station, powerful enough to destroy an entire planet. Its completion will spell certain doom for the champions of freedom. Striking from a fortress hidden among the billion stars of the galaxy, rebel spaceships have won their first victory in a battle with the powerful Imperial Starfleet. The Empire fears that another defeat would bring a thousand more solar systems into the Rebellion. And Imperial control over the galaxy would be lost forever. But that is the near future. Above the yellow planet Tatooine, a gigantic Imperial starship pursues a rebel spacecraft. Its deadly laser bolts disintegrate the smaller ship's main solar fin with a soul-searing shudder. That is our first page. Stan Lee presents Roy Thomas as the scripter and editor, Howard Chaikin, our illustrator, Jim Novak, our letterer, adapting the greatest space fantasy 
of all. This would be a monumental event and a work, essentially saving Marvel Comics in the 70s. The best selling issue of the time had been Spider Man, selling approximately half a million copies at each issue coming out. Star Wars would put them back over the million issue mark. And this was very significant. Generally speaking, movie adaptations of the times did not do well in comics. Star Wars, like many things Star Wars would do, would break that mold, just as they had done for licensing of toys and things of that nature. Star Wars single-handedly revived Marvel and would be a very lucrative and long-term relationship. The irony in all of this is today we know that Disney Corporation owns both Lucasfilm and Marvel. So bringing that marriage back together again here now in this next century. Before we delve into our first issue in depth, I'd like to provide everyone with two inserts from this first comic book that chronicle the evolution of how Marvel and Star Wars, and in particular George Lucas, got together to create this series. A six-issue prospectus on a startling piece of cinema, the ultimate space fantasy Star Wars. Six years ago, George Lucas, the creator of American Graffiti, began his first draft of the script of a film that is certain to become a milestone in the space fantasy genre. Thus, it is perhaps appropriate that Marvel Comics is going to take six monthly issues of its Star Wars comic magazine to adapt the movie into illustrated form. Anything less than approximately 100 pages would be too little to do it justice. Still, just to familiarize you with the territory, including a few to those unfamiliar with interstellar warfare, we thought it'd be best to give you this brief overview of the story, the characters, and the people behind it. Read it carefully, cause there might be a quiz at the end of the sixth issue. Through thousands of light years come the amazing exploits of our hero, Luke Skywalker and his friends, flesh and blood space pilots and mechanical robots, as they battle numerous villains and creatures in a massive galactic civil war. This story has no relationship to Earth, time, and space. It occurs in other solar systems in another galaxy and could be happening in the future, the past, or even the present. Young Luke Skywalker is accompanied by his robot companions R2-D2 and C-3PO, more familiarly known as R2 and 3PO. The tough star pilot Han Solo, the seven-foot fur-covered Wookiee named Chewbacca, and the venerable old warrior Ben Kenobi. Three different worlds become settings for the series of fabulous adventures and thrills. They travel from the large arid planet Tatooine to the huge man-made planet destroyer Death Star and finally arrive on the dense jungle-covered fourth moon of Yavin. Director-writer George Lucas has created a majestic visual experience of extraordinary worlds. This Panavision Technicolor motion picture to be released in late May of this year is produced by Gary Kurtz for 20th Century Fox release and was made on locations in Tunisia and at EMI, Elstree, and Shepperton Studios London over a 17-week schedule. Lucas and Kurtz, the successful duo of the fantastic 
fantastically popular American Graffiti have acquired an outstanding production team, including production designer John Barry of A Clockwork Orange fame and director of photography Gil Taylor of Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy and 20th Century Fox 1976 hit The Omen, a team with credentials. John Steers, production special effects supervisor in London and Academy Award winner for the James Bond film Thunderball, designed the robots and land vehicles and planned the cataclysmic explosions at a hidden warehouse in the United States. Special effects miniaturist John Dystra took full advantage of new advances in computer-controlled stop-motion animation. Matt artist Peter Ellen Shaw Jr. carried on a great family tradition in a relatively unknown motion picture art form. John Barry was production designer while veteran John Williams scored the music. Other important production members include makeup expert Stuart Freeborn, who designed and made the ape costumes for 2001, and editors Marsha Lucas, Richard Chu, and Paul Hirsch. And the stars of Star Wars, Sir Alec Guinness stars as Ben Obi-Wan Kenobi, Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Harrison Ford, a featured player in Graffiti as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia Organa, and Peter Cushing of Frankenstein fame and infamy as Governor Moff Tarkin. Others in the cast include Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Peter Mayhew, and David Prowse, though it's doubtful even their own families will recognize them in their alien getups. Now the question, why did filmmaker George Lucas follow up a movie like American Graffiti with such a totally different film? Here's the reason in his own words. I think that anyone who goes to the movies loves to have an emotional experience. It's basic. Whether you're 7, 17, or 70, the more intense the experience the more successful the film. I've always loved adventure films. After I finished American Graffiti, I came to realize that since the demise of the Western, there hasn't been much in the mythological fantasy genre available to the film audience. So instead of making Isn't It Terrible, What's What's Happening to Mankind movies, which is how I began, I decided that I tried to fill that gap. I'd make a film so rooted in imagination that the grimness of everyday life would not follow the audience into the theater. In in other words, for two hours, they could forget. I'm trying to reconstruct a genre that's been lost and bring it to a new dimension so that elements of space, fantasy, adventure, suspense, and fun all work and feed off each other. So in a way, Star Wars is a movie for the kid in all of us. With this multi-million dollar Fox release slated to open in major theaters across the country in just a few short weeks with a Star Wars novelization from Valentine Books already rushing toward a second printing and now with the beginning of Marvel Comics' official adaptation by Roy Thomas, late of Unknown Worlds of Science Fiction and a Skrull Cree War or two himself, and Howard Chaykin, whose monarch star stalker and Solomon Kane for Marvel have shown he knows how to buckle a mean swash himself in space elsewhere. Well, it looks as if the time has come for Star Wars, after all. And it's about time. That was the introduction to the series. Star Wars, the ultimate space fantasy. We would also get an entry by none other than series creator Roy Thomas. Star Warriors. The story behind Star Wars, the movie, and the comic mag by Roy Thomas. It started slowly, this Star Wars project, both for George Lucas and even for Marvel Comics. It's a couple of years now since I met George Lucas, already celebrated as the filmmaker behind the blockbuster American Graffiti. I was an ardent admirer of that film, and had also been intrigued by his earlier science fiction feature, 
1138. George, in turn, had expressed a desire to see the Carl Barks Uncle Scrooge McDuck painting, which hangs proudly in my living room, and was enthusiastic about another pride and joy of mine, our late lamented dollar magazine, Unknown Worlds of Science Fiction. We met, shared a dinner, and a few anecdotes, and that was it. Or so it seemed. For a few months later, a friend of George's looked me up. His name was Charlie Lippincott, and he was, for lack of a better term, he said, Media Projects Director of George Lucas' new film, Star Wars, about which I knew nothing but the name. Fairly understandable, since at the stage, filming hadn't even been started. Charlie informed me after a spaghetti dinner and some more swapped anecdotes that he and George would like Marvel Comics in general, and me in particular, to handle the comic book adaptation of Star Wars. I was, of course, both flattered and flabbergasted, and when Charlie brought out stats of a dozen or so beautiful paintings, projected scenes from the movie, sketches, they're called in the trade, but they were painstakingly detailed and breathtakingly beautiful. I was definitely hooked. Within a couple of days, Smile and Stan Lee had seen my enthusiasm and figured, I guess, what the heck? It'll give the kids something to do. Star Wars was tentatively added to the hectic Marvel schedule after some slight debate about whether it should be a color or black and white mag, about whether it should be adapted in one issue or 20. I wanted to adapt George's script in about a half dozen issues in full color, and I guess I was fairly persuasive that particular day. By that time, reading over the script and having perused the illustrations which would soon become filmic reality, I had already chosen the artist. I would give first crack at Star Wars Marvel version. Howard Chaikin's drawn space fantasy, or space opera if you will, for just about every market over the past couple of years. For our competition, for underground type mags, and even for us as witnessed in last year's Marvel premiere issue featuring one Monarch Star Stalker. Howie took one look at the script and the production sketches, and his only question was, when do we start? He's got top-notch help, too, to help the two of us produce the Star Wars comic on a monthly basis. This issue's cover, for instance, based on a poster by the talented Mr. C, was inked by Tom Palmer, a favorite of Marveldom Assembled. And, starting with issue number two, the inking chores, if you can call such an enjoyable assignment a chore, will be done by Steve Leola in between encounters with Howard the Duck. We think Chicken and Leola are going to be a duo to remember. And Star Wars, both as film and as comic book, is going to be just what it says out there on the first page. The greatest space fantasy of all. And that is the rousing recounting and introduction to the series by series adapter, creator, Roy Thomas. What's very interesting about Star Wars in general is you had the vision by George Lucas to want to wrangle in Marvel in particular to do the comic book adaptation of the film and utilize the comic book as a promotional tool for the film. He had been a long time admirer of Marvel's work and as a teenager was a particular fan of the Fantastic Four and the writing of one Stan Lee and the artistic talent of Jack King Kirby. Being a Fantastic Four fan, he was a big fan of Doctor Doom. Many have theorized 
that Dr. Doom was indeed an inspiration or a source of many sources of inspiration for the creation of Darth Vader. A matter of fact, Stan Lee made no bones about it, having written in a reply to a reader's comment in the back pages of Marvel that indeed Darth Vader was very close to Victor Von Doom in many different instances, not only in the armor that they wore, the masks they wore, both had been disfigured in some way, shape, or form. So when you begin to align those two characters, there's no mistaking that this had to have been the Doctor Doom character, an influence on Lucas in creating the look and feel, if you will, at the very minimum of the Darth Vader character. Now, let's turn our attention to our first story. And our first story would essentially chronicle the beginning of New Hope up to the point that Luke is attacked by the Sand People and one Obi-Wan Kenobi would finally reveal himself to Luke as Luke and 3PO had gone out searching for R2, who was searching for Obi-Wan Kenobi to deliver him the message from Princess Leia. This opening of the first book and story arc pretty much plays very close to the film, meaning this. When Chenkin and Roy Thomas were developing these first several issues, they had to work ahead of the final cut of the film being established and going into theaters. They were able to see some rough cuts of the film. They received the script, so they had the full scripting, which included some scenes that eventually had gotten cut out of the film, but would make their way onto the comic book pages. In particular, you had the introduction of Biggs' Darklighter, right there at the very beginning of the film, as one of Luke's closest friends. We wouldn't see Biggs until the tail end of A New Hope in the theaters, when the Rebellion is getting ready to attack the Death Star. So that's a switch. You would also see the characters and friends of Luke when he would go and visit the Tashi Station. We have referenced to him wanting to go do this in the original film, but we never get to see that. That's actually included in here, in these pages. So from a Star Wars fan perspective, this first issue provides some really great fan service of what was in the original scripting, had made its way into the novelization, but hadn't been shown on the big screen. So that's a delight. And enjoying it and taking you back to that 1977 experience of a New Hope, that time, Star Wars Episode 4. The scroll at the very beginning is essentially narration. The illustrations in here by Chankin were heavily influenced by sketches and concept art. So you have a blending, if you will, of what would eventually be up on the big screen, but then what was conceptual leading up to the set designs and the real Star Wars world being born. So it's a kind of a cool fusion in that regard. Chaykin had been commissioned by Lucas to do one of the very first Star Wars movie posters that would come out in 1976 and was of a cartoon flavor, very different from the eventual paintings that we would see as the promotional sheets, the one sheets for the movie coming in May of 77. 
these have become highly collectible, and many will recall in receiving them when they went to Comic-Con, and Chenkin loves signing these. This artwork would go on to influence the eventual cover here of the first issue of the Star Wars comic, Chenkin doing a tie-in or a callback or homage to his own work that he had done the previous year. This series would introduce some characters that ultimately would be different once they were finally revealed. If you'll all recall, we never see Jabba the Hutt in the original trilogy until the third movie. It wasn't until George Lucas went back and filled in some spots and added some special effects that we have that added scene now in A New Hope of Jabba coming and meeting Han Solo before he gets Obi-Wan Kenobi, the droids, and Luke Skywalker on the Falcon to then go rescue Princess Leia slash head over to Alderaan and get intercepted and eventually make their way to the Death Star. Up until this point, that scene was only seen visually in the comic book and would be a real eye-opener because this Jabba the Hutt looks nothing like the Jabba the Hutt that would eventually appear in Return of the Jedi. This Jabba the Hutt was a weird kind of greenish creature, not a Greedo type, but almost walrusy looking in some instances. Just absolutely bizarre. But this would not happen until the second issue that we would then get introduced to the cantina scene, Greedo, and then the eventual boarding of the Millennium Falcon. So I jumped ahead, but wanted to give you a taste of what you'd be experiencing here in this first series. The scenes here with the friends of Luke Skywalker, and in particular Biggs, but with one of the scenes with Biggs, there is a deleted scene from the film that actually shows up here in the comic, and that's Luke seeing the battle above Tatooine happening, and this would be Princess Leia's ship being pursued by that Imperial Star Cruiser, and you would also see... Luke going to Anchorhead, and that's where he meets up with his other friends in addition to Biggs. So those alone are worth reading this first issue of the Star Wars comic. Chaykin does a very faithful rendition of all of the classic characters here, of all the classic creatures, of the stormtroopers. The evolution of Vader would begin even in the panels of this comic over time. You can see where Chenkin was going off of the conceptual drawings to where on the later panels, Vader tends to take greater shape in what we know Darth Vader to look like. I think he does a fantastic job of how 3PO looks, how R2-D2 looks, Luke looks good in this too, Princess Leia. Of particular note, the facial expressions of the various generals that are assembled around the table on the Death Star as they're talking about the rebels and the stolen plans, and of course, the now iconic scene of I Find Your Lack of Faith Disturbing, where Vader is forced choking, is brilliantly captured by Chaykin. The facial expressions in those eyes, the just actual gasping for air and survival is great. It looks and feels menacing like it should. It's just absolutely outstanding. Kids, welcome to Long Time Ago, a journey into the classic Star Wars Marvel comics of the 70s and early 80s here on Kirby's Kids. And we would love 
to hear from you once you have read issue one of volume one of Star Wars. Please leave a message via the Anchor app or send us an email at kirbyskidspodcast at gmail.com. Obi-Wan, take us out. Your destiny lies upon the different parts of your mind. Force will be with you always.